Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of the Wild Wonder podcast. I am your host, Kristen Yorka, and I am so excited to announce that today's guest is Julianne Unicor, also known as Jules Bono. If you don't know about Jules, she's a full-time blogger at The Literary Lifestyle, a virtual reading corner for women with nearly 300,000 readers per month. Her goal is to leave you feeling as inspired as a cozy afternoon at home with a book and a warm beverage. And as a newsletter subscriber, I can attest to that. That's exactly what it feels like to get one of Jules's emails in your inbox. <laughs> Jules has been on the Today Show's Read with Jenna book club, Oprah's book club, Reese's book club, and BuzzFeed. Her essay, The Rory Gilmore Book Club, was published in a book, but I'm a Gilmore. She lives in Philly with her husband and cats and describes herself as an introverted homebody. In today's episode, we'll explore why books have the power to blow open our understanding of ourselves, each other, and the world. So without further ado, on with the show. Hello and welcome Jules Bono to the Wild Wonder podcast. Hi. Hi, so your full name is Julianne Bongore, am I right? In Italy, that's uh, exactly Italy. how they say it. Um, <laughs> we say it in English, um, in America, more like Bunicor. Bunicor. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, Bongore is good heart, so what a fantastic name. It is, name. and um, funny story about that, because this is my husband's last name, and his mm -hmm. father is a heart doctor. Oh my gosh, that's perfect. <laughs> it couldn't be better marketing for a heart doctor. I know. <laughs> it's meant to be. Well, you are a full-time blogger now, but you weren't always. From what I remember, you were an attorney before? It seems like quite the leap, right? It is quite the leap, um, and a good one, though. Mm -hmm. So you went from blogging on the side while you were an attorney, or did you, yeah? Yes, um, I did it on the side starting in um, 2019 after our honeymoon and wedding, um, when I really um, needed that creative outlet that you, you kind of get during the wedding process. Yeah, so you were, you were feeling creative while you were planning your wedding, and then you felt like you were missing that after? And yes, kind of that and the fact that we had learned so much and had so many notes from our wedding and our honeymoon and our honeymoon in particular. Um, we did go to Italy and it was my first time out of the country and it was um, our first time, you know, on a really big trip together. Um, mm -hmm. I had spent so much time. I, I'm, you know, as an attorney, what we do is research. So I was right. I there were no stones unt unturned in uh, the research of this trip. And the way I had kind of done it was um, kind of how I live my life on a daily basis, which is I read all of these books that pertain to a topic and then I live the life pertaining to that topic. And so I noticed when we came back, I had all these lists of books from every city. And then I also had our list that, you know, we, we made this list ahead of time and then we went on the trip and then we were kind of editing the list as we went on. Like, what would we tell other people when we came back that this is a must, this is not a must or take this off, put this on note mm. to get this at this restaurant and I kind of had those both worlds when I came back where it's the books and the lifestyle and I realized that's kind of how I am in my life mm. and thus began the literary lifestyle. 
But you had no, you, when you brought these notes and these books home, you were thinking, I want to share this information with my friends, or you immediately thought, I want to share this information with a wider audience? A little bit of both. Um, I think, you know, the first thing you think of is sharing it with your friends, that those are mm -hmm. the people who, you know, you go on Facebook and say, they say, you know, I'm going to Italy. What, you know, what do you mm -hmm. recommend? Or I'm looking for a new thriller. What do you recommend? You think of it that way. But um, my husband and I also um, had a lot of background um, in, he, you know, he owned an e-commerce business for many years and I served okay. as his attorney and learned a lot about, um, the internet digital space and um, all those things during that time period. And I really dug deep and I had also been journaling and blogging privately my entire adult life um, and, you know, in written journals before then. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of just all came together at once. So when you started blogging, it was essentially travel books or you were looking at fictional books as well? Um, no, fictional books, because that's kind okay. of what I would, and, and travel books, actually, okay. because I did it all. Um, so, like, I like to kind of uncover everything when mm -hmm. I do something, and most of the time it's through books. So I would have this list of fictional books in each city, but then I would also be reading the travel guides. Um, and it wasn't just travel that I had in mind, but that was sort of the impetus, like, you know, if a book has a recipe, you know I'm making that recipe. Right. Or if I'm really inspired by all the songs mentioned in a book, I'm making a Spotify playlist. So yeah. it kind of started with the travel, but I knew I had all these other elements of lifestyle I can bring, I could bring into it. I love that because I love myself a theme. Like I love to immerse myself in like fictional books. If I'm going to a specific place, I'm reading the fictional books about that place. I'm trying to like eat the food from there even before I get there and listen to the music. I like to just like immerse myself in that vibe. That's exactly me. Yeah. So because when I first heard of you, it was kind of serendipitous because I first heard about the Rory Gilmore reading challenge. Just I Googled it. I want to say it's been in the like stratosphere for a while. Right. And I was like, wow, I wonder I'm always looking for a good like reading challenge immersion and I came across your list and that's how I first, you first came into my, my little world and then you were on the SSR podcast. Oh good, and so you listen to SSR as well. I do, it, it, I love it. I love yeah, all Yeah, Allie like, is fantastic. I think she's the perfect person to be um, talking about children's books um, that we read and loved as kids and teens, but from an mm -hmm. adult perspective. It's totally she totally got me reading all those books again now as an adult, and some of which you're like, should I have been reading this as a child? <laughs> and looking at them with new perspective. Right yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm curious to know what about that whole, whole Rory Gilmore world um, drew you in? So I have an interesting story with Rory Gilmore and the Gilmore Girls as well. My sister was the one who was a super fan back in the early 2000s, and it was mm -hmm. to the point where... She had it on 24 hours a day, whether or not she was in the room, outside of the room, she just wanted it to always be on. And I thought it was insane that my parents allowed their, you know, teenage daughter to be mm. playing the TV even when she wasn't there. So by osmosis, I started taking in all of these episodes and then you kind of get drawn into it at the same time. There's all these, you know, funny things that we would, we would talk about, like I got hit by a deer. That, you know, funny line and episode, and we loved um, Lane's mom. Um, mm -hmm. There were so many things that we would talk about then, and then, you know, it kind of, like, 
kind of forgot about Gilmore Girls as life mm. went on and the show ended and I went off to law school. And when the pandemic started, um, you know, like everyone was, I was looking for something to binge watch right. and, you know, a comforting binge watch, which is what we all craved during that mm. time. And I was also thinking about, it was right when fall started. And I was also thinking about what do I want my next year reading list to look like? And I had been disappointed with all of these, you know, more modern books that I was getting sucked in with all this hype. And I was thinking, you know, mm -hmm. there's all these books from the past, whether they're classics or even more modern classics that I either didn't have time to read or didn't, wasn't old enough to read, but mm -hmm. um, I really want to dive into. And those two things kind of happened right at the same time, too. I thought, well, it's fall. I haven't really watched Gilmore Girls since 20 years ago. And then as I was doing this, I was thinking, wait, this reading challenge has everything on it. it, has the classics, it has the the more modern books, it has all the pop culture, and it just seems like the perfect combination. And it also matches with the theme of the blog, which is pairing literature with, with life. And um, right. uh, I'm not surprised that that's how you found the blog, because I think that's how most people find it. And the passion mm -hmm. of Gilmore Girls fans and Gilmore Girls fans who love to read um, blows my mind on a daily basis. <laughs> It is. It's a funny connection there. And I actually didn't start watching the Gilmore Girls until I became a parent. I didn't really connect with it when it was out in the early 2000s. I didn't get it. And then when you're older, I think I started to really appreciate that not only the mother-daughter connection, but the value of female friendship and that storyline. And that's what drew me in. You got to love that uh, friendship between uh, mm -hmm. Sookie and Lorelai. Yeah. Yeah, and so when I was looking for book lists to read, um, because I need direction in my reading sometimes, I, I tend to like want to read everything and then I feel overwhelmed because my TBR pile is falling over. I was right. like, yeah, I'll, I'll download the Rory Gilmore Reading Challenge. And at the same time, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a lot of books. <laughs> it is, but that's okay. Yeah. It just means we have lots of years to complete them. Yeah, but just like that reading challenge and, and your... Um, subscription newsletter, which I love. You describe it as um, kind of a cozy corner where you could read a book and have a coffee. And I just want to say that's exactly what it feels like when I get it in my inbox. I couldn't be happier to hear that. <laughs> that's <laughs> honestly the best thing I could ever hear. <laughs> it does. It gives me that same feeling of Gilmore Girls because when you sit down, you just want to be comforted. You want to be in a like a blanket in the fall watching something that's going to make you feel good. Yes, that's exactly my dream life. <laughs> yeah. And for, at least for me, sitting at my computer, I spend my days writing. And when I see your like little alert of your email, I always take a break. It's almost like somebody brought me my little cafecito and it's time to like calm down and read your newsletter and then go back to work. So it, it There's something my so special place. about newsletters and they do, you know, sometimes I think, well, how, you know, is this different than being on social media? But it, it really is like. There's something that is more journalistic about it. Like I do mm -hmm. it two times a week now and it's a little bit different, but when I was doing it one time a week, it truly felt like I was sitting down to journal for an hour yeah. about what happened in the, you know, in my week, what happened on the blog, what happened in the world of reading. Um, and it really was like therapeutic. And, and I just, I, I can only hope that people feel that way when they get it too. And I try to make yeah. it, you know, helpful and light and easy, easy to scan, easy to read all those things while also being, you know, authentic and helpful. 
Yeah, it does come across. I think I get all those things from it. I I do write a newsletter every week and I like hope it comes across in that way that it's just like to check in and in a more intimate way than one would on social media. And it's hard because you don't get as much feedback as you do on social media. So I do get responses from people, but um, there's so much fewer and, and far between than you would on social media. So it's sort of like something that you put into the world and just hope it's being received. Uh, in a certain way. Totally. But it only takes that like one email back and you're like, oh my goodness, somebody's reading <laughs> and they like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I think it's amazing. Now you're up to 300,000 readers. Yeah, this month we should hit 300,000 uh, per month. Wow. wow. How did how did that look like for you from the day you decided like this is a thing that I'm going to do regularly to like now we're having almost 300,000 readers? It's it's kind of like slow and steady wins the race. Um, You know, you really do. And it's I love going back every month. I keep statistics every single month. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't feel a change or or, you know, you're sort of going about your daily life. But when you go back and look even just three months ago or five months ago or one year ago at this time, you really see that that steady, slow and steady climb. Mm -hmm. And you you start realizing like, oh, yes, this daily work is paying off slowly but surely. That's it. That's a good point, because you could totally miss it when you're in it. Right. Yes. So you're saying you go back every month to kind of review what's happened over the last month. Yeah, every first of the month, I kind of regroup on everything that happened in the past month and, and, you know, what the best was and what the worst was and what I can improve on and what, you know, um, if people are really liking something, then I want to be able to put that out there maybe in the newsletter again and let people know this is something everyone is really liking or maybe I can add something to that, like Mm -hmm. a video or something to make it more hands-on. Um, and that's kind of um, when I go back then and see all the stats from the prior months and prior years. And that's really when you get that, you, you can physically see those numbers and how they've changed over, over time. Do you, would you say you're naturally inclined to do that or did you have to build that ritual for yourself? I think I'm naturally inclined to do that. I I would say I'm kind of a a data nerd. I'm not a numbers nerd at all. And that is without a doubt as a writer and as a reader, um, I always say like what you're really good at, you struggle with the opposite. So being really Mm -hmm. good with words, I'm not good with as good with numbers, but I'm really into data and analysis. And I think that comes from a legal and writing background as well. What would you say to someone that doesn't have that background, that wants to build something, whether it be a blog or or a business? How do do you know how they might build that ritual for themselves if they're not inclined to like data and analysis? So I think if you're starting, I think, you know, it depends on what kind of of business you're starting. You know, it might be a cake business or it might be art or an Etsy shop or a blog. And they're, they're all very different. Um, but I think being a self-starter is really important because most people, uh, you know, it probably isn't their full-time job to start off with. They're probably, they mm-hmm. probably are in something else right now. And, you know, you're not necessarily going to go back to college. You know, you, it's about listening to podcasts, reading books, diving into blogs, newsletters, everything you can. And being that person who can sit down and figure it out. I think mm-hmm. is the number one step, um, you know, no matter what it is, even, you know, so many creators are trying to learn video now and right. it really is going back to that square one of, you know, it took us all these years to learn 
writing and photography. Now we have to go back and like, I started a master class today on video, mm-hmm. um, right. to really go back to those, those bare basics. And, you know, if I've done it before, I can do it again. And it really is just challenging yourself, um, to new and different things every day and trusting that you can do it. Um, mm-hmm. and fighting through all those moments of overwhelm or burnout, um, because mm-hmm. it really is. Um, and I think it's important to say something like this, that, you know, I didn't take any money from my business for over two years. Um, so, yeah from my side business. So this Mm -hmm. is something I was working on. Maybe the first year I probably didn't make much at all. It was probably mostly um, expenses and investments. And then the second Mm -hmm. year I was making money, but I wasn't taking money from it or spending. And those are really hard things to do. Um, Right. You know, you really do have to trust this, this long-term process. Like I like to compare it to a marathon where it's like, you know, every day you're getting up and you're training and then maybe you're researching sneakers or, you know, all these different things. And then maybe months or even years from when you started, you cross that finish line. Right. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to come to terms with, especially when you're not seeing money come in. I hear this from a lot of creators like, oh, but can I really spend three, four hours a day doing this thing when no, no money's come in. How do I rationalize that for myself, for my business, for my family? And rationalize it to your family as well. And, you know, I had this confidence that, you know, came from with within me that I knew I could do it, but it's also hard. And I can see where, you know, if my husband was doing something three or four hours a day and for a year or two years, we weren't really seeing anything come from it. I'd be thinking, well, what is he doing this for? (laughs) Whereas in my mind, I had done all the research and I kind of knew I'd heard all these other stories and what to expect and when things sort of take off and what to focus on and all that. So I sort of knew that, you know, it was this long-term game, but I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's really hard when you're in it and it's hard to explain to people around you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have to have that conversation with your husband or someone in your family? Like, here's what um, I want to do. I did. Yeah, I think it was hard for my husband the first year because, you know, I would get in- excited saying, oh, 20 cents came in or, oh, I sold one book and I got $1. Mm-hmm. And I'd be so excited. And he'd think, well, I haven't seen you for the past month. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> was that $1 worth it? Um, but once the money started coming in and once I started going over the numbers with him every single month and also mm-hmm. him being a businessman um, and mm-hmm. understanding what it was like, and, like, he didn't take money from his business the first two years either. Um, okay. You know, he had to have another thing that was going um, mm-hmm. in, in order to keep him, you know, just paying his bills. So he knew right. that there is this process. And I think most business owners will tell you that you don't see a profit in the first year and you don't take money in the first year. And it, really is hard in many, many ways to get through those stages because not only are you not making money, but you're really overwhelmed and you're really burned out and you're, you don't know, you know, is this going to be worth it someday? Yeah. And sometimes you're so inundated. I'll speak for myself. So inundated in the day to day of what you got to do just to keep things moving, to keep the train on the track that you can't even see ahead a foot or two. Right. Unless, like you say, you step back and you look at the month prior and you do it again the following month. And hear other people's stories and try to follow that trajectory of of the people Mm -hmm. who are in that field and have success. You know, what did they get go through that got them to that point? What did what noise did they not listen to? What were you know, I'm really focused on money making tasks. And I think that's important as well. There's so much noise, no matter Mm -hmm. what business you're starting um, to really focus on those 
those things that are going to make you money as opposed right. to, you know, the 10,000 social media platforms and, yeah. and all these other things that are out there. Yeah, you seem to be very disciplined about that. And I don't know if that's because you kind of don't like uh, social media as much as blogging or you made a decision like this is what works. And so therefore, I'm going to do the blogging and I'll do social media when when I want or feel like. It's a little bit of both. I enjoy social media more as a consumer. Um, mm-hmm. Like I love to go and chat in the DMs with people and just make friends. Right. Um, but being introverted and a, a writer and more creative, um, mm-hmm. my process is better in in the writing sphere. Um, and then, like you said, you know, since that is my money making task, and I've learned how to make that my money making task, then the mm-hmm. social media does come second. For someone else, they might be fantastic at stories, and that might be their their money making task, and then the blog might come second. How does that look for you in terms of like mental health? This decision to just follow the one thing versus following the next big thing. I can honestly say I've never been happier. Um, I feel like everything has finally come together for me. Um, I've never been happier to sit down and work. And you know, there have been nights where. You know, I'm on my phone looking at someone's story who's in another part of the world that where it's the next morning and thinking, mm-hmm. I wish it was morning for me, too, so I could get back to this. And I, <laughs> I there's no better feeling in the world yeah, when you're no. working than that. Um, but at the same time, there's always the temptation to keep working. And there's mm-hmm. always this pressure that, you know, a, a digital space is something where there's tons of people doing it. And how do you stay ahead? You want to, right. you, you know, you just want to keep hustling and your and grow your business. But at the same time, your mental and your physical health is so important. And that has been something that's been hard for me in those first few months. And I, mm-hmm. I think really just even this week and the past few weeks, I'm really trying to figure out those balances where mm-hmm. I won't allow myself to pick up the computer until I've done some healthy things for myself in the morning. Um, because as soon as I get up, my brain's wired and working and ready to go and wanting to start. Um, and then I can get sucked into that computer world where then I don't get up until dinner time. And then I don't want to, you know, work out or eat healthy at that time. I just want to throw a pizza in the oven. (laughs) Um, so I have been balanced, been trying to balance those things. Um, you know, especially just in the past few weeks. And my husband's been really helpful with that as well. Like I'm someone who loves a to-do list and loves crossing off a to-do mm-hmm. list. And that also keeps me at my computer. And he's got me to understand that a to-do list is not a list. It's a circle that never ends. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you really have to make those yeah. boundaries on those hours because it's not like you're ever going to get to a point where that list is empty and now is the time where you take care of yourself. And if you don't take care of yourself, you're never going to get to that point anyway. You're just right. going to burn out. Right. And it could be so addictive. That's to do list. Like, I know that I could yes. keep going. Once I got three down, I was like, Oh, I could do four five, six. Yes, oh, I still have 30 so minutes. much better when I get this off my list. Yeah. And then you but, just add something else on there. Right. Exactly. Or I'm like, Oh, I could do Fridays <laughs> to do list too. That happened to me yesterday. I'm like, why am I doing this? There's the whole right. point was to like be able to have a break. Um, yes. But the reason I started this podcast um, back in 2020 during the pandemic was to be able to share some of these tools for self-care and self-love, some of these rituals. I would love to know how you build those into your day. If you have go to like self-care rituals or do you just give yourself this, the space to kind of see what you need? 
So right now, um, I'm trying to build in this, I'm calling it my power hour in the morning, okay. where I want at least one hour that feels powerful. And it could be mm-hmm. drinking green juice. It can be standing while I'm working instead of sitting. It can be doing a workout, walking to the post office. I, w- I just want to have this like one hour where I feel good that one hour of my day was spent um, physically, mentally very well. Um, mm-hmm. And then to do my work day. Um, after the work day, my number one top self-care is I take a bath almost every single night. And I've been like this since I was a child. Um, you know, my mom still jokes that every time she calls me, she says, oh, are you getting on? I always say, oh, I'm just getting out of the bath. I'm just getting out of the bath because that is my, I love the heat. I love the the warmth and comfort of the water. And then um, my last hour before bed is reading. So that's sort of my wind down time as well. Mine too. And that leads perfectly into, I wanted to ask, how books play a role in this idea of self-care and self-love. I, th- I honestly think it's such a great um, form of self-love and self-care because not only can you educate yourself, you can improve your communication, you can be a better networker, you can just escape to a different world, you know, whether it's Harry Potter or, you know, I mean, that's such an escape for people and me too. Um, and, and so many books can be whether, you know, it's cold and you're reading a book set at the beach. Um, mm. There's just so many ways that it can be self-care and self-improvement. Do you have any rules for nighttime reading? Because I know there's certain books that I won't read. And it's, it's not the obvious, like I do read horror at night, but I won't read like certain nonfiction. Do you have any rules like that? Not really, um, because, no. and I think I'm different than the normal person because a lot of my reading is based on what's going on with the Rory Gilmore Book Club or what's going on on the blog. So it's sort of like a mix of work and self-care at the same time um, mm-hmm. where, you know, um, for this month for the Rory Gilmore Book Club, I was reading Shakespeare. So that wouldn't normally uh, be something yeah. I would like <laughs> love to read before bedtime, but um that's that's what was on my challenge for this month. So yeah, because um, I read your post. So you have you're not only are you reading Shakespeare, but you're reading the notes on what you're reading. And sometimes yeah, you even and have I find to that online. to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, and I you know this month we're reading a challenging book, and that's one of the ways I get through challenging books. And I think some people think there's a stigma to that, and I couldn't disagree more. Um, I don't see any point in reading something, you know, we shouldn't have to understand Shakespeare. It was written at a different time with a different type of language. Like it's it to me, it's almost like I don't understand 20 year olds when they speak right now. (laughs) They speak a different language than me as someone who's twice their age. Hmm. Um, And it's sort of like that, that, you know, I, I don't necessarily have to understand this. So why not have and you you appreciate it so much more when you get that um, context that's more modern. Yeah, from that viewpoint, is there a value to kind of tackling these harder books? Oh, I definitely think so. And I think the Shakespeare one was the perfect example of that for me because I I feel like it's something I read Macbeth and I feel like it's something I'm going to think about and compare um, for years to come. I read the book, I read the notes, I watched the movie, and then I also um, I wrote a bunch of posts about different quotes from Mm -hmm. Macbeth. And I learned how those quotes have impacted so many other works. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like the book, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which I read last year for the Rory Gilmore Book Club. And I Mm -hmm. learned that that title came from um, Shakespeare and one of the new most popular books. 
I'm reading now, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, mm-hmm. is very heavily influenced by Shakespeare. And um, I'm almost done with it now, but it's about video games and, and they're kind of basing it off of the, the play and talking about it and the title comes from it and to understand all those things and why they were important then and how they relate to this new story now, mm-hmm. I couldn't take more value from it. I, had, I hadn't made any of those connections, but now I re- want to read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow even more. It's definitely on my TBR. Right. Um, yeah, it's but um, yeah. definitely the hottest book um, right now. Yeah, I think it's interesting how not only do does fiction allow you to jump back in time, but it also allows you to put yourself in the place of another. Is there a book that you read that allowed you to see the world completely differently just because the character or narrator was so different than your culture or how you grew up? So there's two that really come to mind with that question. And one is general and one is specific. The first one I think about, and I like this comparison because I think it can relate to so many situations in life. It's um, a really, really popular book called A Man Called Uva um, by Frederick Bachman. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've read it, but, um, or there's a movie that um, is, I guess it's Swedish, um, but they Mm -hmm. have subtitles. Um, but it's this man, this man who appears to be a grumpy old man on the outside. Mm-hmm. And as the story goes on and he meets this, you know, um, new neighbor who's a younger woman and mother, um, you learn that the reason he's has this grumpy exterior is because of how much pain he feels inside from, um, without giving away too much, just different things that have happened in his life. And I think that's what reading does in so many contexts and allows us to take that to everyday life that what we see on the outside may not be what's on the inside. Um, and then the second thing that I really think of is um, anytime I've read a, an Asian American book, mm-hmm. um, and I dove deep on these a year or two ago for, for a blog post of the mm-hmm. same, a list of the same topic, um, and I really read a lot. And I realized that while there's not one in particular reading this group as a whole, I learned that there were so many things about the Asian American experience that I had no idea that this is what people were experiencing or this is what it was like for them to be in Mm -hmm. in those shoes. Um, If only one book would come to mind, I would say The Joy Luck Club, but really a lot of the books have, and that one's on the Rory Gilmore list as Mm -hmm. well, well. Um, but all of the books have almost the same themes and the same you know, characterizations. And it, it totally opened my eyes. And, you know, for so many years and so many decades, we didn't see a lot of Asian American characters on film. So mm-hmm. to be able to dive into their minds in books really offered this experience that I had no idea about. Right. Yeah. I dove into a couple Asian American books. I want to say the one that really hit me was, um, was it called Free Lunch for Millionaires? I haven't read that one. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that of the whole immigrant experience and the difference between being a a child like me born in the United States, but being the only person of your family born in the United States and how we as, as first generation Americans kind of all share that regardless right. of like what cultural backgrounds we come from. Yeah, it's so interesting. Really yeah. Really insightful. I, yeah. I, I think it builds up a person's compassion too. And if we pick a, an author from a from a background or culture in which we don't fully understand, I, I do, I'm sure you agree, but I think it builds a compassion for that 
population of people as well as some compassion for ourselves. Absolutely. Or we see our shared humanity. Yes. Yes. Common themes and, and mm-hmm. seeing beyond those um, exteriors. Yeah. Is there, is and there also learning motivations. I think whether it's even if you're just learning historical, whether you're reading, you know, World War II or Civil War, you know, when we grow up in school, we learn this war happened on this date and this, but you don't never really learn the whys. Yeah. And the motivations or what caused that to happen or what was going on in, in society that made people think that way. Um, and and a, a book can really help you dive in on those levels as well. Yeah. And also the philosophies that are prevalent and even in terms of like different generations, how different generations can hold different values and philosophies on life that then therefore play out on the world stage that we born into our own little generation might not understand quite yet. Absolutely. Yeah. So were you always into books? Did it always take you across time and space? Absolutely, it did. Um, I can still remember to this day um, the first time I learned to read, the first little teeny tiny, you know, it was like a little three-inch book that I read, and I it honestly felt like a superpower to me, and I never forgot that exact moment. I can still picture it in mm. in my mind. Um, and I can still feel the excitement that I don't know why this felt like a superpower to me, but it felt like I could do anything once I learned how to read. Right. And when, when you started reading, was there ever a character, either when you were a child or now, that you felt like, oh, I see myself in them, or this is me, something, is that a character that you kind of carry with you to this day? Yes. The um, character I identify the most with um, from my childhood was Molly McIntyre from um, The American Girls. And I think it's always important to, especially for kids, to see themselves in a character, whether it's on TV or in a book or Mm -hmm. video game, you know, anywhere um, or a doll. Um, And, you know, I always wear my hair in two long brown braids and I had Mm -hmm. round glasses. And that's exactly how Molly looked. And Mm -hmm. um, we wore similar clothes. um, And also her father uh, was in World War II and my both of my grandfathers were in World War II so I was able to I felt like I was able to learn about my historical background through Mm -hmm. her in addition to seeing someone who looked like me on the pages yeah I can imagine I mean it is so important for kids I don't think enough kids see that nowadays I'm I'm grateful that now more authors are doing LGBTQ books in middle grade fiction I think that's beautiful and i can't i like and can only imagine a child being like that's me they're finally talking about me you know yes and american girl now allows you to customize um when when it was my generation it was three dolls um and luckily one of them you know i identified with but um now you can totally customize everything from the hair to the eyes skin what they're wearing and i definitely think that's so important yeah, I think when I was a kid, there wasn't a Latin girl, so I wasn't into American Girl so much. <laughs> yeah, see, and that that kind of proves the point that you yeah. kind of like you need that um, connection. Yeah. Um, so now, what? What? Well, first, what book are you reading now? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Um, and, and then at night, since we talked about nighttime reading and and kind of mm-hmm. liking lighter reads at night, I've been. Um, I, I picked up a bunch of Ellen Hildebrand books that I hadn't read yet. Um, because I've read of most you, of I just more... started one. I like Which one? one. Uh, 69, Summer of 69. I, that's my favorite one. 
Is and it? that's another one where you get the historical context. Um, I'm reading one of our older ones called Beautiful Day, and it's it's about a wedding in Nantucket. So, um, I, you know, I love reading those at night because they're just, you know, they're juicy and light and dramatic and on the beach. And this one has a wedding, too. So um, that's a good nighttime read. I felt it. like culturally that one taught me a lot because, yeah. you know, I'm Cuban-American. I don't I didn't I mean, even though I was raised in the States, I didn't get the American experience fully because I was in Miami and I was like, oh, that makes sense. The whole like 60s and what occurred before the 60s that led up to it and kind of the more personal feelings around that era. Yeah, the era and that summer in particular, um, because there were so many momentous events. And then you also just always get a great family story. Yeah, it was nice. But our book club, we focus on international fiction, usually translated fiction. And I know you love Elena Ferrante, which is one of my favorites. But you had one Absolutely. book in particular that you wanted to recommend. Yeah. So um, I was first introduced to my brilliant friends by my sister-in-law when she heard we were going to Italy for our honeymoon. She said, you have to read this book series. And the next day, the entire series showed up on my doorstep. She'd bought the whole series. For oh, me. wow. So, you know, I'm sitting there with a stack of maybe like 2,000 pages, and it looks all really heavy and dry and, and small mm. writing. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, like, should I should I do this? And, and will I like this? And it is, and we talked about going into other worlds. It's such an immersive world. Um, mm. It really transports you into 1950s Naples, Italy. Um, you know, the, the storyline revolves around two young girls. It starts as young girls, and then it goes throughout their life, throughout the course of the four books. And it starts when they become friends, um, and they're they're in the slums of of Naples, and they they you know scratch the money together to buy Little Women, which is one of my all time favorite books too. Um, and one is naturally brilliant, but very impulsive. Mm-hmm. And the other one is not as naturally brilliant, but she be, is very educated over time. So as they grow up, you see this difference of what um, occurs in their lives when mm-hmm. one is educated and one is not um, in the same society. And it also draws in all of this whole cast of characters. It's a whole neighborhood where you learn all of these different families and it's how they all relate to each other, how every family relates, how every marriage relates. And it all sort of comes together. And there's always also this push and pull dynamic between these two girls throughout their lifetime that really sucks you in and keeps you asking for more and thinking, I can't believe she did this. And I can't believe this is where the story went. And just when you think it's going in one direction, it pulls in another. And it leaves you wondering what, which one is the brilliant friend? Mm -hmm. Is, is brilliance natural or is it um, education? Um, I hope and, I did it some justice. If you yeah, want to add absolutely. on anything, you just brought me back there. Those books, I've, I, I have to I have one left to read the fourth one, because I can only read one a year because I feel like it's all consuming for me. It like takes over my life because I'm in that world and yeah, so involved with these characters as if they were really here and I had some vested interest in their lives. Have you watched the HBO show? I haven't. I'm waiting till I I read the fourth one. It's really, really good. Um, yeah. It is in subtitles, um, but I like that because it forces me to not pick up my phone or, or get yeah. distracted in any way. Um, and it just does such a beautiful um, job of recreating the story and the same pushes and pulls and mm-hmm. you know the same emotions. And it also um, 
to me, it always helps to put faces to the characters as well, especially when there's a lot of them, which it there are. Does, this, this it series. does a brilliant job of like weaving the historical through the narrative that you don't even realize that you're learning a lot of Italian history, particularly, I think, the third book that dives into like the student rebellions yes. and a lot. That's when it gets into a lot of the more um, social issues. Mm-hmm. And also political and also like ideology. You th- I, Just like with the first one, My Brilliant Friend, you jump in there thinking, this is the character I'm going to like. This character is right. This character is wrong. And then somewhere in the book, you're like, wait, you're flipped totally onto the other side. At least I was. Was there a character that in the first book, My Brilliant Friend, you really gravitated toward that felt more like you or you connected with her values? That's pretty easy. Um, you can probably tell just by looking at me sitting here with my books and my glasses that I was Elena, the the bookworm, the one who was you know reading every book, educated, taking every class. That was totally me. And she's also very quiet and polite um, and more I'm starting to think of the right word but she hesitates more whereas her friend Leela is one who's impulsive and acts and takes chances um and is is more daring in life see I felt like uh, Leela was more me at that age um but I always wanted to be like Elena because she was able to like move through society what seemed like to me easier than when you're yeah. impulsive and constantly trying to push back on society as it is but at times you see Leela get those moments where you think, yeah. oh, well, you know, she's really made it now. And then mm-hmm. it, it flips and then it goes back again. And, and like you said, it weaves all of these different things into it. Yeah. If we zoom out a little bit, I feel almost like it's the two like warring sides of any woman. It's like, how do I lead a life within society as it is? And how do I force change or move toward change for something that I, that I want or how I want the world to look? And then we haven't even mentioned yet that there's also some pretty juicy love stories in this book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's true. I got really into it. Maybe this is a pandemic thing, but I got really into romance. And I know I mentioned it on the podcast before because I just wanted an escape. I wanted every book to end with like, and they lived happily ever after, loved each other forever, the end. (laughs) Yeah. My brilliant friend is not like that. It's it's very character driven. So I always like to give that... um, kind of, you know, warning to, to people that if you're if you're really wanting or you really only like plot driven, this mm-hmm. one's really a character analysis. Um, but if you like character driven and you're or you're willing to to sit and like let something consume you, um, yeah. then it's a good, a good one to pick up. And you have to be ready for it. Like I definitely time out reading these books when I don't have to do anything important. <laughs> right. Yeah. You want to savor those words. Yeah. Um, is there any other tips you have for people that want to read more or want to create this space for themselves where they can get really immersed in their books? Yeah, so I like, um, you know, I think you can set little goals for yourself, whether it's five pages a day or five minutes a day or or 10 or 50, you know, whatever you want and, and start from there. You know, it doesn't have to be, you, you know, you don't have to... S- carve out a whole afternoon if you don't have it. Um, The other thing you can do is multitask or always have a book with you because there's all these little moments in life that, you know, we don't think are going to happen where, Mm -hmm. you know, you're stuck in traffic or you're stuck in line somewhere and it's the perfect time to then pull out a book or an audio book and dive in. Or if you're going for a walk, pop them in. If you're doing laundry, Mm -hmm. pop your, your headphones in. 
Um, there's ways you can do it that way as well. Um, you know, I think a reading challenge, like like not to plug our Rory Gilmore reading challenge yeah, yeah, too, no, much, too much, but um, a reading challenge can also really help you stay motivated. And, you know, for people who struggle with what to read, that's a good, uh, any reading challenge um, mm -hmm. can help you that way. You could read from different countries or um, different states, different authors, uh, different genres. But if you like a reading challenge can help you sort of frame what to read as well. Um, and then just, like I said, carving out those little moments that you don't think you have, but um, everyone somehow does have. Mm -hmm. Instead of reaching for your phone, you know, yes. grabbing a book and really enjoying and luxuriating in the, in the time that you do have. Right. Because I think that's the other problem, like whereas before in the 80s, you could pull out a book and that's the only thing you could do versus yes. now we're like, oh, I'm going to do some more on my to-do list through my phone and check off all these things and read right. my emails. I don't like to say multitask too much anymore because I feel like mm -hmm. it promotes this hustle culture. Um, yeah. But at the same time, for someone like me who would just be bored out of my mind cleaning, it almost helps me more to have an audiobook on at the same time. But if it's something that for you feels just like you're pushing yourself too hard mm -hmm. um, to hustle or, or be overly productive, then mm -hmm. maybe that isn't the right step for you. Maybe you can just carve out a few minutes here or there or a few pages here or there or just have the book with you so in your purse so that you know when you're sitting at a doctor's office yeah. you can pull it out having the book with you or even a digital version of the book is so helpful i've also found that like that happens with me in my journal like now that i carry my journal in my purse now if instead of just like sitting and scrolling instagram i'll pull out my book or write in my journal for a little bit instead of getting consumed by my phone right yeah so and 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 not to mention it again, your emails are so wonderful and they definitely help me want to read more and more and more. So if you could please share with our audience how they can subscribe or get. Yeah, more. I definitely think subscribing via emails is the best way um, to follow the blog because um, you know you're going to get it only twice a week and you're definitely going to get it. Whereas social media, you may or may not see things. I don't always post things, but twice a week it's sort of a recap of the best of the week. Mm -hmm. um, so you can go to the literary lifestyle.com and just click subscribe. And there's a bunch of freebies that come along with it too. Um, so um, the one that people like the best is the Rory Gilmore book list PDF, which mm -hmm. has a, over 500 books on it that were in some way referenced or seen on the Gilmore girls. Yeah. I have that one on my desktop. So I look at it all the time. I was like, Oh, which one have I read now? Um, so I love that. Um, and I love getting your emails. They are like a cozy little treat during my day. So I want to thank you for that and for sharing your time and wisdom with our audience. Thank you. I hope it helps. Yes, of course. Thanks so much, Jules. I hope to see you soon. You too. Bye. Bye.